This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on wash and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. This is the Blaze Radio Network. We are the JLE News Excelsior. Welcome back, partners, my dear friends, my radio family. I'm Jay Severin. We are the Blaze Radio Network. There is so much to do. It's such an exciting time, but let me shut up and prove it. Anniversaries. That's under our heading of headlines to start the show today. And today's show will include not only just wild headlines reflecting a wild news cycle, but news all the latest news of politics of the moment. And today I am going to break down where we stand right now. The field as it stands in relation to each other, the candidates, and what the two or three you know, likely scenarios are. What the likely schools of thought, or what the current schools of thought and likely outcomes are. They are fairly straightforward, not complex. All of the permutations are fairly complex, but the scenarios, fairly simple, straightforward, and profound in which way they go. Yes? Profound. First, uh, we'll start, as always, with some semblance of the headlines, uh, news and views you can use that you may not have heard. A bummer that I couldn't find a, another word to rhyme there at the end. Uh, anniversaries. One year ago today, January 7th, did, if you were to listen to the BBC, as I did, you know, I'm learning so much more about the thing I have studied informally, then formally through a master's degree program and spent my life in, which is the media. It's so important what journalists do, and it's so damaging to us that they have become Jehornalists. 
even if unintentionally. May I parenthetically give you a real quick example? There has been new terror in Paris. It is a comparatively minor event, but it's terror nonetheless. When I listened to one news report overnight, well, let me, I'll tell you the two news, the, 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 an excerpt of two news reports, both international and national, that I heard overnight within a couple hours of each other. And that is the terrorist in Paris overnight, which story I will tell you in a moment, was shouting, Allahu Akbar, as he attacked police officers with a butcher knife. Report number two. The suspect attacked police with a knife. Now, does it, do you think that it matters to anyone or is evidentiary in any way? Significant in any way? If you only heard report number one as opposed to report number two, the fact that the guy was screaming, God is great in Arabic, while he was going after policemen with a butcher knife, as opposed to this guy went after police with a butcher knife. Uh, One was BBC and one was Fox. I'll let you for the moment guess which was which. A year ago today in Paris, two Frenchmen, I haven't left the topic of media, Frenchmen, they were Frenchmen. Technically, they were Frenchmen. Technically, they were French citizens. You know what their names were? Pierre and Maurice? No. Muhammad Ahmed Doobie X. Ach, and Doobie X, Ahmed Ahmed X, Doobie Doobie X. So two Frenchmen a year ago today stormed the offices of one of the world's not best known if you're not a journalist uh, or, or, you know, in media, but certainly the, one of the world's most prominent satirical magazines for grown-ups. I think mostly left-wing grown-ups, but grown-ups. And the fact is, you know, we're all big free speech people, so it doesn't doesn't matter to whom it appealed. Fact is, it was an ongoing concern, uh, a courageous and important one, whatever its political views. It was a magazine called Charlie Hebdo. One year ago today, two... Frenchmen, both named Ahmed, uh, stormed the offices one year ago today, as you know, and killed everyone within their sight. That was a year ago today. Uh, Last night, and this is the grand total of facts accumulated cumulatively from all news reports I have heard out of London, Europe, and the United States. Here's what happened. 
sometime around midnight. Wait, let me make sure here. Would have made it nine. No, sometime maybe around three to four a.m. Maybe maybe earlier. Probably earlier. Probably around yeah. Probably around midnight local time in Paris. An Arabic man screaming Allah Akbar, God is great, in Arabic, stormed a group of policemen in front of a police station in Paris, armed with a butcher knife, he attacked the policemen. He was wearing a suicide vest that turned out to be either phony or inoperative. He was carrying with him an ISIS flag and ISIS propaganda and documentation uh, suggesting that he was a supporter and even a member of ISIS. It was all written in Arabic. He had ID on him, identification on him. It was all in Arabic. He screamed, God is great in Arabic, as he attacked the police. (coughs) But I want you to know, he's not necessarily Muslim, right? Where's the proof there? Where's the proof that this hairball is Muslim? Oh, wait, was Muslim, because this terror case has a happy ending. The police told him to halt. I think they said it this way, lay halt, lay halt. And this guy, not necessarily a Muslim, continued to advance on them, swinging wildly with the butcher's knife. The cleaver. We don't know if the cleaver was related to beaver cleaver or eldridge cleaver, or it's completely a coincidence, like the fact that everything about him screamed Islamist and ISIS. But so we can't prove anything, and you would be racist to think so. As he proceeded uh, to endeavor in his attempted murder against the lay police. Lay police said, lay stop, lay better stop. And and he didn't stop. And so they shot him dead. As I said, this particular story has a happy ending. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. When our water heater broke down last month, it was a nightmare. It took five hours for the plumber to show up, and he charged us a couple of hundred bucks just to come out. Then it cost another $1,800 to put in the new water heater. By the time it was all said and done, I felt like I'd been taken. But what else could I do? 
The smartest thing you can do is get a home warranty from American Residential Warranty. Their home warranties pay to repair or replace all your major appliances when they break. And they will break. And at the worst possible time, call American Residential Warranty right now for free information on home warranties starting at just pennies a day. Don't wait for your refrigerator to stop running or your ceiling fans to stop turning. Call American Residential Warranty right now. Ask how you can save up to 50% on washer and dryer coverage. Just call 1-800-686-3910. That's 1-800-686-3910. Again, 1-800-686-3910. Call now. And my partners, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three on the Blaze Radio Network. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. A year ago today, uh, the uh, Frenchman brothers Ahmed and Ahmed. You know, it's like a car. It's a, like a cartoon, no pun intended. You know, it's such a stereotypical, such stereotypical names for French brothers, right? Uh, and there was terror in Paris last night again comparatively minor given the horrors uh, we recently endured but an, an act of terror by any definition yes by a muslim yes by a muslim last night in paris i can report to you that the muslim is currently luxuriating in the company of his 72 virginians <clears throat> they were chosen from everyone who auditioned for the banjo front porch scene in Appalachia for the movie Deliverance, if you happen to see it. Get it on, Ahmed and Ahmed. Um, BBC had a guest. This is a media point. And again, in one of, to me, one of the 10 best movies ever made, or at least one, one of the movies, 10 best movies I best enjoyed in my lifetime ever. Uh, that was well-constructed a sentence, don't you think? Is The Man Who Would Be King. Michael Caine, Sean Connery, uh, circa 1975. Uh, it's a brilliant movie. A model of the buddy movie, uh, writ large. It's just a brilliant, brilliant film. The whole family can watch it, by the way, which doesn't make it a jot less enjoyable, even if you love violent movies, which I do. Uh, but but this one is, is a brilliant movie, The Man Who Would Be King, based on a short story by Rudyard Kipling. Uh, in this movie, they essentially two guys, former British Army officers, go out as mercenaries and decide to go to uh, exotic places in the world, hire themselves out as mercenaries to uh, consultants, to the armies, such as they are, of those exotic lands. And in every place they show up, they say, do you have enemies? Oh, no, no, enemies, yes, many, many enemies. And they say, well, uh, and what do they do? And they go, enemies piss in the river just ahead of us. They piss in the river. And we have go, we go bathe, not frequently, we go bathe and drink the water of their piss. And, and, and so that, that's like a common refrain uh, of, of the, uh, okay. 
Anyway, I, mean, I do remember that scene. I love it. I love the movie. I'm not quite sure how I got to this point. I, I help me. I've fallen and I can't get up and it's live. No, uh, it's just a media point. And my media point is the reason I tell you these things about the media that I notice each day. And I'm thinking of uh, turning it into a formal blog and actually monetizing it. Now, I'm serious about these things in the media that people don't notice. And the reason it's important to notice them is because if you care about civics at all, I mean, if you care about news beyond the news of your immediate personal life, that's the most important news. The most important news is how are you today? How are you feeling? How are your loved ones feeling? Are they warm, you know, enough? Uh, do they have enough to eat? That, that's the news. To any decent human being, that's the news. Beyond that, if you happen to have the luxury of caring about news beyond your tent, then who tells you that news since we were cavemen has always mattered. When, when a caveman goes, Now, this, that could be a current faculty member in many American public schools, but I was trying to mimic the language of the early cave dweller. And when one showed up at another's village and said, You know, it, it mattered because he was telling you either uh, they're peeing in the river just above where you're uh, drawing your water for, for uh, drinking, or there are guys bigger than us collecting rocks and sticks to come hit us with. So, you know, generally speaking, whether or not this news was real or, you know, true or timely mattered. I would argue to you that nothing has changed except it's become even more important. So if the media is failing to do its job or is guilty of intentional malfeasance, i.e. journalism, I think you want to know. This audience has the luxury and IQ to care about news of the world beyond its own domicile, beyond your own tent. Last night on the BBC, which is to the radio world what the New York Times was to newspapers, now really still is, uh, to, to, to uh, you know, we're talking about to tens, tens of hundreds of people who read the New York Times still. Last night, the BBC had a guest. Now, whether or not you wish to hold the BBC responsible for its guests is up to you. There is a uh, one reasonable position that says, hey, we can't help what a guest says. It's a guest. It's not us. There is another reasonable standard that says, as a journalist, as producers, you know, when you book a guest, you have the responsibility to book people who are not nuts, not crazy people, that know something about what they're booked to talk about. So that they don't go on there and, and, and spread lies or nonsense. And, and then, you know, I go out and spread those same lies and nonsense to you. And you go out and tell them to your family and friends because the BBC didn't care enough to put someone on the air who isn't a hairball or a crazy person. Okay? I mean, you know, and, I, and I'm inclined toward this latter school of thought. I think there's a responsibility there. You don't just put on anybody. 
especially if you're the BBC. Last night on the BBC, they had a guest who was complaining about how tough it is being a Muslim and how the notion that Muslims are disproportionately and or organically connected to terror and violence is an ugly racist myth and that it's um, first and foremost untrue that it's a lie that that Muslims have no philosophical theological organic inclination toward violence connected with their faith any more than Buddhists that it's all an ugly racist lie and then he uttered the following and I'm not kidding a, because I don't lie to you, and B, because you could look it up. You know, there's a way to find this. Uh, the BBC guest said, quote, Let me give you an example. So far in America, there have been 300 mass shootings so far just this year. It's it's January 7th. There haven't been 300 mass shootings in the world in history. And, but this guy said there have been, in America, there have been 300 mass shootings just so far this new year. And only two of them in any way involved people who could be so-called Muslims. Only two out of 300. It's three, but the important number there is not two. The important number is 300. A hairball and a nut in one. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin. I'm scared as heck to even walk outside my house, even the back of my house, with the with the dogs, even when I'm armed, which I always am, because there have been 300 mass shootings. If you listen to the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, there have been 300 mass shootings so far in the first. Seven days, and it aye, aye, and it's not even midnight. In the first six and a half days of 2016, 300 mass shootings. I just don't know that wherever you are, shelter in place, shelter in place. Uh, very important anniversary. 17 years ago today, William. Jefferson, big fat asterisk, William Jefferson Clinton is sworn in and sits down as a defendant in his trial before the Senate to be removed from office. He is the first ever. Ela 
president of the United States ever to sit in a recall trial as an impeached president of the United States. He was impeached. He is impeached. He shall forever be the first and thus far only elected president of the United States to hold that distinction 17 years ago today his uh, trial began Uh, European rape henceforth known here as refugee rape you know how closely I think I'm following this story we're not spending a lot of time on it but I'm following it closely and I'm waiting each night to see how the BBC, as it's occurring, you know, this is front yard news for them. So I'm waiting to see how the story evolves or whether it evolves or whether they're continuing to spike it. And, oh, yes, the German government has been spiking this story. Uh, and here is your evidence. Refugee rape. When I was with you yesterday, when we were together yesterday, the most I could tell you about the refugee rape story was that according to fairly sketchy reports, which had at least qualified for reportage over the BBC, Muslim male migrants, hey, pretty peppy party, Pete, Muslim male migrants, malingering Muslim male migrants, had on New Year's Eve beaten, sexually abused, and raped girls, young girls, and women in Munich, Germany. Nobody arrested, no charges, no story for a week. They kept a lid on this for a week. And that's everything I knew as of our time together 24 hours ago. I I make a note of that as I think you should, because it took a week to learn that. Listen to how much more I, and thus you know, 24 hours later, and how much is still being, must still be being hidden. This is still the part of the iceberg above the water, the 10% above the water. We now know Despite the government of Germany and the media, there is no, you know, First Amendment there. Government tells you to stop running a story or don't run it. And if you don't, you just lose your license and you don't have a newspaper anymore or a television station. So let's just say the editors and publishers of the media in Germany are sensitive and responsive to what Angela Merkel Uh, what her opinion may be at any given moment. Here's what we know today, 24 hours later. We know that rapes, beatings, sexual assaults of girls and women by multiple gangs, and it's always gangs. There's not a single report, again, asked to risk, because I... But there's not a single report 
of a single person doing this against anybody. It's roving bands of pitiable refugees from Africa, from Syria, from Afghanistan. How do we know they're from those places? To be perfectly fair and fairer than I think we ought, uh, we don't know. But we are told by the girls and women who have been beaten and raped that they are very dark-skinned men, always between the ages of 15 and 30, who are speaking Arabic. Other than that, you know, it's all entirely circumstantial evidence. And what we learn is that this wasn't one city, Munich, on one night in one church. This has been happening virtually every night in 10 or more major German cities to hundreds, if not more, to hundreds of German girls and women. This is a huge story. And you know why it's huge? Not because Donald Trump is making it part of his campaign platform, because then it would, by definition, be the greatest, the biggest, the hugest. No, this is a huge story because not only is the the roving gangs of poor migrants beating and raping in public German girls and women, not only is that horrible, not only is that horrible, not only is the fact that the German government is spiking the story, the media is spiking the story, saying lay off, don't report this, makes us look bad. Not only is that horrible, not only is the fact that it's happening, not one city one night, but many cities, many nights, it's happening every night in most of the big cities in Germany and maybe outside Germany. That's, we can, I'm not going to go into that now, but my thesis on this is, if we know who's doing this and they're doing it in Germany, the same people who migrated to five other countries are what? Acting differently? Or are German girls just that much more provocative or prettier? Well, they are actually prettier, but we won't get into that. Uh, not only is all of this horrible, but here's what's the most significant. Here's why I'm using your valuable time to tell you this story, to give you this update. Because this is a nota bene. This is a note well. This is a caveat. This is a beware Americans, fellow Americans story. In addition to all the things we now know, after only 24 hours that we didn't know yesterday, about this, lots of rapes, lots of cities, lots of women, all done by... Arab Muslim refugees. I mean, unless the lying sluts, you know, the victims, you know, can't be believed, which, of course, unless you're a racist, you you can't believe those lying whores. They're just the victims. For media matters, that, that was a what's called sarcasm, what's called lacerating sarcasm. Okay. Not only is all of that horrible, but here's the big point. The notion as somebody like Guruji, 
not so holy cow, said from day one, look it up on my tweets. I was sitting here minding my own business on a Sunday afternoon when the first films came over BBC World News on television of the pitiable refugees coming in by the tens of thousands into Germany. And I said, then and since, do you know how the people of these particular cultures, especially the Middle Eastern cultures, particularly Muslims, do you know the status that women enjoy? It's slightly lower than a camel. Or, it's 2016, so maybe camel lights. Do you know how women are treated in Syria? Do you know how women in the Muslim world are treated? Do you know what their status is? I think you know that they are treated like pigs. They are treated worse than livestock. You can get a new woman tomorrow, but you can't get a new cow. I mean, come on. You can get a new woman. You can't get a new goat. And I'm given to understand many of them prefer goats. But do you know the status of your little girl, your mother, your wife, your sister, your lover, your friend? Do you know the status of women among many people of this, most people of this culture? They are not allowed, little girls are not allowed to go to school. They're not allowed to learn to read or write. And in many vicinities, on many occasions, parents and children have been lashed, beaten, decapitated for the sin of permitting a little girl child to commit such unforgivable offenses as reading a book or trying to learn how to read, going to school going outside the house without being covered from head to toe and accompanied by a male member of her immediate family. For these things, they are decapitated. They are beaten and stoned to death in what are called honor killings. Do I need to go into what it means when a culture enshrines this misogyny and first-degree murder? In a term such as honor killings, honor killings, you beat your daughter to death because, and this is, I know one real case, there are a million, but one real case where a woman beat her 12-year-old daughter to death for looking at a boy out the window as he rode by on his bicycle. She looked at him. The mother beat her own daughter to death with a toaster. I'm sorry. I am sorry to have to tell you this, but this story is no joke. Okay. That's the status in which women are held, just below livestock. All right, that's not true. I apologize. Very considerably below livestock in these cultures. And then you take these men, unattached, unmarried, 18 to 30, and you take them and you take them from their cultures where this is not only accepted and tolerated, it's their religion. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. 
This is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. And partners on the Blaze Radio Network. So, as we were saying, not only do these guys do this every day, beat women, beat their own daughters to death, call it honor killing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now, you take these guys and you take the guys who are, let's face it, everyone knows, the most dangerous things to society. I mean, I, I was one once, you know, and, and, and so are a lot of you. If you're a man between the ages of 18 and, you know, 40, you, you know, you're not, and you're unmarried and you're not in a stable relationship if you don't have a family, God bless you, but you're not, you know, cultures all over the world recognize that you're fairly dangerous to society. This is the time you're going to get drunk, use drugs, use a gun, commit a crime, beat women, rape somebody. You know, again, I'm not saying you're going to do any of those things. And God willing and thank you, most of us don't. But if you're going to get in trouble and you're a young man, you're going to get in trouble. You're a young man between 18 and 40, you know. Okay, you take all these men, you take that culture where women are valued less than a, a camel, and you put a couple million of them, you parachute them in to Germany and France, where, need I explain, that the attitude toward women is what you might say, profoundly different existentially different than it is? I mean, if these guys, ironically, if there's any defense for these guys, if I had a gun to my head and I had to defend them in a court of law, I would say, Your Honor, what you're saying makes sense. What the prosecution is saying makes sense. What the victims are saying makes sense. But it's a fact of life that these guys don't know. They didn't know any better. Going out in groups and sexually assaulting women is something they did uh, you know uh, instead of being boy scouts in their country of last residence they know not what they do that having been said i mean imagine this this is a cultural transplant failure this is jay severin on the blaze radio network We are the Blaze Radio Network. We are the Jaily News. Excelsior. Welcome back, dear partners, dear radio family. We are a family of our own here. We are the Blaze Radio Network. one 888 Now, I've spent a lot more time on this European rape story than I had intended, but I obviously had a lot more passion about it than I had realized. Uh, maybe that's from being a daddy and having a little girl. 
and thinking about how different her life would be in another place. Maybe that's from being a husband to uh, a beautiful, loving woman and how different her life would be. These are good people. And thinking about how their lives would be horrible in another place. And then I think about we take young men who have grown up in a culture where instead of joining the 4-H club or the debate team or the football team or the baseball team or the basketball team or the hockey team or the lacrosse team or the chess team or the Boy Scouts or the Justin Bieber fan club or anything else, they go out in groups and beat girls and women they find on the street though they are other people's daughters and wives and sisters, they don't care. You know what happens? Once they beat and rape the girl, the family of the girl kills her because she has shamed them for being raped. Now, again, okay, I'm not, I promise, don't, don't touch that dial. I'm not, I'm not, I, that's it. I'm, I'm finished with that part of it. But I just want to say, and you take these same people, and, you know, oh, hello, son. I, you're home a little early. Uh, what did you and your pals do tonight? Saturday night? All dressed up? Did you have fun? Oh, yes, mother. We we beat and raped some whores. You know, the whore that lives next door. You know, you you do the wash with her mother every morning. That whore. Yes. You, you take these people from, and for these people, I don't mean these people Muslims. I don't mean these people Arabs. I just mean you take people of culture A, you pick them up, and you parachute them down into culture B. Do you know what the equivalent would be? If you went back in a time machine and you took cavemen now uh, literally hang with me here if we had the ability to go back in a time machine and scoop up 1.2 million cavemen that's the number of pitiable migrants quote unquote who have entered germany in the last two months okay so we scoop up 1.2 million cavemen and put them down in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. What do you think the news would be for the next 30 years? What would, what would, what would we expect? Okay, I'm finished with that. Uh, I've got a lot more in the headlines, but we're going to go to politics. The headlines include Joe DeGeneva, who is my friend, a longtime friend, uh, uh, one of the most prominent federal prosecutors in American history. Joe DeGeneva will go down as one of the most prominent players in the role of federal prosecutors in American history. And... I've, uh, he believes that 
Hillary Clinton is going to be indicted in within 90 days. I, and and to hear Joe, as I have, say this is a chilling thing when you consider the, of course, political, but also historical and other implications of this. And I want, let me make no mistake about this, I want desperately to believe that Joe is right. But you know what? If he is, by what percentage level, withdraw and rephrase, what percentage of voters that Hillary now has, what percentage of support she now has do you think she will lose if she is indicted? Do you think the prospects of Hillary Clinton, when you think about the people supporting Hillary Clinton and why they are, do you really believe? I don't have an answer to this, but I have a hell of a good question, and here it is. Do you really believe that if Hillary Clinton is indicted, because there is no way, I mean, the only, the only way this would be adjudicated fully is if she, uh, obviously, if she's not indicted. The other one would be if she pleads guilty. Well, the first may well occur, i.e., no indictment, but her pleading guilty? <laughs> okay, uh, let's not let's waste any time on that. Um, you know, that's that, that's happening like I'm going to go out and bring Charles Bronson home tonight, you know. I mean, that ain't happening. If you happen to spot Marie Osmond, call me. But uh, Charles Bronson, no. So what I'm trying to say is, if she's indicted, what do you think that means for a normal person and normal supporters? For, for patriots, for patriotic, intelligent Americans, I think having their candidate indicted on a multiple-count federal indictment for what accounts to sedition really amounts to being a traitor I mean, by the laws of the United States of America. Your laws, our laws, we made. Being indicted might have something of a dampening effect on our ardor for a particular candidate, but you don't support Hillary Clinton. You're not Hillary Clinton. That's a different way of thinking. Hillary Clinton's support comes from people who say, where's my free stuff at? I, you know, Hillary in trouble? Well, that's too bad, but not changing my vote. I mean, if I elect someone who believes in the Constitution, what's going to happen to free stuff? Where's my free stuff coming from? I have to have other people's stuff for free. And thus, I'm voting Democrat if there's videotape of her killing her grandchildren in their beds. I, I need my free stuff. That's why. That's what motivates my vote. With which we move into the hard politics of the moment. The headline of which is Ted Cruz ineligible to be president of the United States. The arguments such as they may be, in a moment. The Jay Severin Show, only 
on the Blaze Radio Network. ineligible thing it is still out there it's a big story today it, it, it is I'm afraid to say a story that may not go away I could tell you something certainly the people who knew this or knew that they could make this an issue knew this many years ago these are the, I've been in these meetings I've conducted these meetings these are strategic matters if you know something about someone that might cripple or hamper their campaign, there is a time to introduce that, to drop that bomb. To all appearances, to the eye of the layman, this is Cruz ineligible because he was born in another another country to, to American parentage. That question? To the layman's eye and ear, that came up just coincidentally because a Washington Post reporter happened, what a dink! happened to ask Donald Trump that question, which Donald Trump just happened to have a completely uh, fully produced answer, editorial essay answer to. Gee, I hope this isn't a problem for Ted. I really like him. I, I think maybe he should go to court, get this straightened out, so it's not a problem for everyone. You know, you get into lawsuits, and it's, geez, you know, it could, it could hurt everybody. But I sure hope it doesn't. Because, you know, I really love Ted. Like, I love like this you need, right? So do you think that question was coincidentally asked by the Washington Post? I can tell you with only the certitude of being willing to bet my house on it that the Trump campaign, because this is how this business works. I've made my living in it for 30 years. You send a staffer to make a contact he already has, he or she already has, with someone at the Washington Post, and you say, hey, uh, Jerry, off the record, between us? Yeah, what? Uh, today, ask my guy about Cruz having been born in Canada. Okay, thanks for the tip. Reporter gets crushing question, huge story, big byline, is invited to appear on all of the television shows sees himself with his own show on MSNBC in six months. Likely to occur, all of those things. That question was not asked by accident. That question was what we call planted. That question was asked, and Donald Trump was ready to answer it in order to impale Cruz with it. More about this story and who is jumping on it within the Republican Party 
next. But first, we go to Ron from Jacksonville. Welcome back, Ron. Hey, let me tell you, this is a replay of 2008 where they went after McCain. People don't know, but every single drive-by media attacked McCain for not being born in the U.S. And it began in February of 2008 and ran all the way to October. Well, it's funny you should mention that, Ron, because the name I just left out in order to go to you is John McCain. Of all the people who would attack Cruz for not being eligible for president, John McCain? John McCain is the test case, is the the contemporary test case. There's actually another that's, that's at least his contemporary. Who knows or remembers that Mitt Romney was not born in the United States? Mitt Romney was born in Mexico while his father and mother were there as father was serving as an ambassador to Mexico and living in the embassy in Mexico. That's where Mitt was born. I mean, that he joins a list of a long list of sons of Americans living legally abroad, visiting, you know, slash living for a. Uh, a, well, a temporary here's, period here's ab- abroad who, who were born there, but of American parents. But for McCain, the only thing this shows, Ron, that I didn't know is that McCain has testicles. He must have to be a Republican and to attack uh, Cruz on this. And he had the whole Senate issue a non-binding resolution declaring him a natural born citizen. And he has the gall to bring this up, you know. Well, it it, it, it uh, is further evidence. Uh, this ain't going it's further nowhere. evidence, Ron. And thank you so much for calling. It is further evidence of something, as always. It is further evidence of something that we all need to know and bear in mind, as we form in our minds. And I hope I can be most useful in this, because what 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 I'm going to do in in the next half hour and in the next few days and several days, several weeks, several months, I hope, several years, is, see, I'm going to take you, if you have a camera, think of the shot you're getting of the candidates on stage, right? They're all up there on stage. You've got a camera. Okay. The shot you'd like is an elevated shot. Take the shot from the crane or the helicopter See, I'm going to be your helicopter. I can bring you up above the crowd and take the shot from there. And the shot from there tells us already a number of things. One of the things it tells us for sure is that Democrats are exceeded in their, in their uh, ardor to smear and defeat. They are exceeded in their horror at the notion of a cruise or Trump presidency only by Republicans, only by rhinos who hate it worse. Because if an outsider, forget the names, if an outsider or anybody else who acts like one is elected president on the Republican ticket, it's the end of the Republican Party as we know it. These people are motivated by nothing complex, nothing mysterious. These people want to keep their jobs. All of these people who have these hairballs who have lied to you 
all these years, you notice that the first measure to repeal and replace Obamacare, it only took the Republicans eight years to, to get that on the floor and, 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 and to vote on it. These people who have dangled the carrot in front of our noses and made us look like fools chasing our own tails because there was two parties on paper. There were on paper two parties, but really only one. And that's the, you know, washocrats. These people are horrified. They know that if, if Cruz or Trump or any outsider who behaves like one is elected, it's the end of the Republican Party as we have known it. And may the gods smile on that proposition. And they are horrified by it. And so, you, you know, the Democrats love this. They don't need to attack Cruz or, or Trump or any outsider, but the ones they really, really, really fear are Cruz and Trump. And they don't need, they don't need to do it. You know, the, the Republicans will do it for them. The establishment rhino Republicans will do it for them. Do you think anybody in a job in the Republican National Committee will still be there if Cruz or Trump gets elected? You think that when there are films of Planned Parenthood sucking the brains out of babies? I am sorry. I am sorry. But it is what it is. Do you think if Cruz or Trump or an outsider who behaves like one is elected, you think those people will still be around? Big offices, cars, secret service protection, money, events, trips, fact-finding missions to Fiji. You think all of that stuff's going to be the same? I don't. That's why I think Hillary Clinton must not be elected and why an outsider, either of pure pedigree or of behavior that I trust, an outsider must be elected. And and believe me, the Republicans are going to do the job for the Democrats on any real conservative or outsider. And what job they don't mop up, the media is going to, in concert, take care of for them. Where we stand next. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. And only with my partners. I'm one 888 I'm going to return to the cruise uh, story just for a moment. We're going to have a lot more, I'm afraid to say, we're going to have a further opportunity to discuss this, is Cruz eligible to become president uh, thing. Uh, but I, I think I mentioned Mitt, born in Mexico. I also just wish to refresh your recollection. Do you know that when Obama, before Obama ran, one of his first public acts was to write a book? His first autobiography. Can you believe it? Obama has written two autobiographies. Uh, It's only funnier that he claims to have been misquoted in both. (laughs) Uh, In Obama's first autobiography, 
you know, everyone who writes a book has to provide their publisher with biographical information. The publisher can't write that without you. I mean, even they could. It's not allowed. It's not done. Your publisher, some low-level editorial assistant, calls you and says, I'm a fact checker from, you know, Random House, and I need to, I just, you know, we, we're doing your bio, so could you fax me over your bio, and then I'm going to call you back and and ask you about any ambiguities in it or maybe edit it or whatever. That's the process. It's everybody. It's, thus has it ever been for everyone. So uh, if you had, and I'll bet this would go for a lot on eBay, uh, if for anyone who still has the pamphlet from the publishing house that published Obama's first autobiography, uh, it says, uh, to cut to the chase, Barack Hussein Obama, and it does say Barack Hussein Obama, was born in Kenya and raised in Indonesia. Now, that per se does not, you know, ipso facto, that does not uh, uh, make him ineligible. My argument, my sentiment about his uh, the dubiousness of Obama's citizenship is that he's never he's never produced an authentic, long form, legally acceptable birth certificate. Never. Never. Now, to me, I, you know, if there's a fuss going on, if someone, like say the Boston Globe, uh, let's just pick a real life example. Let's say a columnist at the Boston Globe wrote a lie about me. I would probably call it a lie, and I would probably furnish such evidence as was available and insist over the sword of litigation, of prospective litigation, that they publish it, that they correct the mistake. I mean, wouldn't you? If you could easily dismiss something that was an issue that might be, you know, you might not like or it was hurting you. And even if you felt, by the way, this is politics. And you're a very smart audience. And so before I get a tweet on this, yeah, it's possible that Obama didn't furnish his birth certificate exactly because every time the issue came up, he lost 10,000 Republican votes and gained 40,000 Democrat votes. Yeah, that's entirely possible. Obama may have fanned this flame because it actually helped him. That's possible. I'm not charging it. I don't know. But you and I both know that's a possibility. You always have to think about this. In any case, for whatever motive or absence of one, there is an absence of the provision of a legitimate, legal, long-form, authentic birth certificate. And I believe under the circumstances on balance, that stinks to me. That doesn't pass the smell test. So I suppose when Cruz submits his, I mean, here's the deal. If there, it, In order to question whether Cruz is eligible to be president, one would have to automatically... I mean, if you have a shred of honesty, decency, IQ about you, you'd have to say, oh, it's not just Cruz. You know, it's Obama, 
It's Mitt Romney. It's John McCain. It's Barry Goldwater. It's Sam Adams. It's, you know, I mean, there are a list of people. It's Bobby Jindal, Marco Rubio. Uh, there are a list of people who, are, who would be questionable under what has been a settled matter. The settled matter is the standard being if you are born to American parentage while in another country, you are an American. As Mark Levin pointed out today, if you hold the opposite view, then all of the heroes serving us in uniform right now, if they had a baby while on post, and man, this happens a lot more than you think. If you if you don't think, uh, you know, if 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 you were if you were the son or daughter of a diplomat, as was Mitt Romney, if you were the son or daughter, you know, just born infant, son or daughter of American military, CIA, diplomatic personnel overseas, you could never be an American. I don't think so. But but look, we'll see. We're asking questions far beyond the realm, reach, and interest of the rhino Republicans who want to harm Cruz with it, and far beyond the realm, reach, and interest, and dignity uh, of Jehornalists who will never ask these kinds of questions in order to be fair or decent to any conservative. Now, the field. This is going to take short shrift now because of, uh, like Tom Coughlin, late of the New York Giants, I have clock problems. I have time management problems. Uh, and and I, I, I hope I survive Tom Coughlin's fate because of it. But it, it's not, it hasn't spared me beatings, I can tell you that. But, uh, but, I, but I hope it spares me my fate. And because I have t- clock management problems, as they say in the NFL, I won't have time to do all of this today. But I am going to set the table today for tomorrow. And, uh, and here we are. Here we go. We're right now getting in the helicopter, and we're going to go up just about, just about 50 or 100 feet. And we're going to look at this race like a horse race. We're going to look at it from overhead. Because you can't really... It's like field-level seats are great at a football game or a baseball game or a hockey game. I don't know about the NBA because I don't know basketball. But having, having quote-unquote, enjoyed field-level seats for those sports, I know when I book a game, especially with one of my kids, I know exactly where I want to sit. And it isn't, it isn't ice level when I go to see a hockey game. It's like if you took me and drew me out over the ice, I'd be about 20 feet over the ice. That's where I want to be. I want to be before the first walkway so that no one, so the people chasing beers and peeing constantly are not in my field of view. I want to be below them, but above the ice so I can see the plays develop. Okay. In other words, I want to see a sport the way I see football on television. Has there ever been a sport created for television more than the national football league? Come on. Okay, so let's look at this race from the camera angle that the National Football League presents every Sunday, which is why it's our one true national religion, if we have one. Let's look at this race that way. Here's what's happening. 
We have Iowa. A week later, we have New Hampshire. A week later, we have South Carolina, which is a completely different kettle of fish once you turn south. We're going to forget about South Carolina for the moment. We have Iowa in about 23 days. 23 days. In the last several Iowa caucuses, cockeye, and remember, a caucus is different than a primary. Primary, you pull up, you let the car run, put the car heater on, if you're in Iowa. You run in, you vote, pull the secret curtain, you know, the cone of silence. You pull the curtain, you punch the dot, you pull the lever, you leave, you get back in the car, you go home. It takes 10 minutes, 7 minutes. If you live in Iowa, you have to get, put your long underwear on. You have to wear every article of clothing you own, like those hats with the earmuffs on them. And you actually have to pull it down, nudnik style, and like tie it under your chin. You have to freeze your ass off, and you have to go out to the local high school gym and stay there for two, three, four, five hours while everybody who cares to gets to speak and talk about their candidate. You know, say, you vote for my guy, and here's why. And and they're wonderful. I've been to a couple. And, you know, you get, because you're there with the guy, you walk in, and there's the pharmacist, there's the high school basketball coach, here's the your doctor, and all of a sudden you see them standing over at a, at a table, a guy has a stick with a sign on it that says, you know, Rubio, and you're for Cruz, and you go in and you look at the, the you look at the, the teacher from the local school that's over at the Trump table, and you say, "You Gladys, Gladys, you bastard, you you told me you were for Rubio." You know, it's wonderful stuff. But in any case, that happens in 23 days, and when it happens, it's going to change everything. The question is, who wins, who places, who shows, who doesn't? What does it mean for New Hampshire? Because all of this stuff has an impact which is absolutely cumulative. Explained in a moment. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And these are my partners. Uh, Ty, the producer of this program, just said to me, uh, can I share your opinion? Ty believes that if Trump wins Iowa and New Hampshire, he pretty much has it sewn up. I'm not sure I agree. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree. But let's, let's, look, let's look at what happens. And for today, that's all we have time to do. But we're gonna we're gonna really deep dive on this uh, starting uh, tomorrow's Friday. So we will do some, and then starting Monday, which is debate week, debate next Thursday night, blaze after dark next Thursday night. We're gonna go into this as long uh, along with the campaign ads uh, every day. Okay, let's say Cruz wins Iowa. Let's just say hypothetically, Cruz wins Iowa. That's going to help him in New Hampshire, but I don't think that Cruz is going to win New Hampshire. I I think if Cruz wins Iowa by 25 points, which he won't, 
But I think if he has a slam dunk in Iowa, there is no way that Ted Cruz is going to win in New Hampshire. Because New Hampshire is a much more moderate voter. And this thing is breaking down into two groups in the Republican Party. The outsiders and the moderates. That's it. And after the question is, how many tickets out of New Hampshire are there going to be? There aren't going to be 15 and there ain't going to be 10. What happens in Iowa is important, but not definitive. It would be definitive if a moderate won in Iowa. If Kasich, Christie, Bush, Rubio, maybe, won in Iowa, that would be a major nuclear political explosion. Because religious conservatives are supposed and expected to do well in Iowa. So that's why I say my first hypothetical is Ted Cruz wins Iowa. He comes to New Hampshire where he puts that Iowa win in his wallet because he's going to need it to protect him because he's going to lose New Hampshire. He may not, he's not going to win. He probably won't place and he likely won't show in New Hampshire, whatever he does in Iowa. The New Hampshire is going to be all about the moderate second and final element here, dimension of the Republican Party, as this thing is broken down. The New Hampshire is going to be about who establishes himself as the flag carrier for the moderate wing, the Bush wing, let's call it. This should have been Bush. I mean, everyone, including the Angels, a year ago believed that Bush, Heb, Heb, might or might not win Iowa, but he would wipe the floor with everybody in New Hampshire. Bush isn't going to wipe the floor with everyone in New Hampshire, according to my hypothetical and opinion. And the biggest question for Heb Bush ever is where he finishes in New Hampshire. The biggest stakes of Jeb Bush's life are where he finishes in New Hampshire because the battle in New Hampshire a week after Iowa is going to be for who heads up the Bush uh, Christie wing of the Republican candidate field. Will it be Bush? Will it be Christie? Will it be Kasich? Or maybe Rubio? Rubio kind of stands astride a little bit both sides, a little bit conservative, you know, a little bit moderate, which makes him, in my view, a little bit pregnant. Maybe in a good way. I, I don't know. But th- that's the, the deal. The deal is Iowa is coming down to a contest between who is the most conservative, who can win, who can beat Hillary. New Hampshire is maybe the same question, but I think a profoundly different answer. I think they see the moderates as the only chance. I don't think Trump or Cruz win New Hampshire. More tomorrow. Please join us. The Jay Severin Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network.